morning. My name is Lee, and I'm one of the pastors here at FBC Benicia, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to join us this morning in worship and as we discuss God's Word. Now, everybody loves a good story, right? We have our favorite books, we have our favorite movies, and so as I've gotten older, I began to look through common themes through the different stories that I like. And so there are a couple of things that stand out as my favorite stories, my, my favorite books, my favorite movies have a similar thread in them. And it's this idea of someone sacrificing themselves or sacrificing their opportunity for something they've always wanted in order to benefit someone else. That's a very common thread. If you put a movie together like that, I'm a sucker for it. I'll go watch it. If, if you've got a book like that, I'm going to read it and I'm going to enjoy it. So for me... Christianity like, fits in with that, right? Like Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for all time. So for me, it was easy to fall in love with the story of Jesus and what he has done because he gave the ultimate sacrifice. But I see that in a lot of the stories, a lot of the books, the movies that I love. Another common theme that I've noticed is there always tends to be uh, a mentor and a mentee type relationship, right? So when I think about uh, Lord of the Rings. I love the story of Lord of the Rings. I think about Frodo and Gandalf in their relationship. Uh, I love the Harry Potter stories. So I think about the relationship with Harry and Dumbledore. And of course, I love Star Wars. So I, I, I think about Luke and Obi-Wan. Now, if you haven't figured out the common thread with those stories, it's that there comes a time after all the teaching and the encouragement, something happens to the mentor. Something happens to the mentor and they're gone or they die. And the younger protagonist in the story is kind of left with the mission, like left to carry things forward. And so there comes a moment, right, when they, when they realize that the mentor is gone and there's this anguish and there's this almost despair that comes upon them. And they have to make that decision. Am I going to continue with this mission even though my mentor is gone or am I just going to turn around and go back home? So they have to make that decision. And this, honestly, this is where we find Paul and Timothy today in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? This, these are Paul's last recorded words that we have. And so Paul understands that he's about to die, right? He mentions that, he mentions that in this book, that he's, he knows he's about to die. And so he knows that Timothy is going to be presented with this choice. Do I continue to carry on the mission as I've done with Paul, or do I turn around and go back home? And so Paul is doing everything in his power to make sure that Timothy sees that the mission is more important than Paul's life. It's more important than Paul being with him. The mission is the number one thing, and the mission being the spreading of the gospel. So that's what Paul's getting him to do. So we have been through this series in 2 Timothy and today we're going to start 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, these are the last recorded words of Paul, and he knows he's about to die. But he gives these imperatives to Timothy about what Timothy is to do when Paul's gone. So open up with me, if you will, 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you have a physical Bible, open that up. If uh, you like the digital way with your phone or your iPad, turn there as well. But we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 with the focus on verses 1 and 2 today. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. In the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so this is the text we'll be using for this week and for next week. But today I want to focus on verses 1 and 2. Straight from the jump, Paul is showing that he is not messing around. Let's look back at verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now, in Jewish tradition, it was required that you have two witnesses when you're in court. So who does Paul bring as his two witnesses? God and Jesus, right? That's, that's right there is pretty imp- impressive. And so he's basically saying, as God is my witness, here is the charge that I'm giving to you, Timothy. And not just, not just you and I are seeing this, but God and Christ Jesus are here acknowledging that this is what's happening with you. And just in case it's lost on Timothy, who Jesus is, right? Because at this point, this is, this is, it's not that Jesus has been around on earth for thousands of years at this point. Jesus' death is fairly still recent. And so Paul reminds him, this is the same Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. So, Timothy, you're aware of who God is, and in case you had forgotten about the importance of Christ Jesus, this is who you will have to give an account to. So right away, Paul's setting the parameters. This is important. This is serious. This matters. Then he says, in view of his returning and his kingdom. So, so what he's saying is, is Timothy, there is going to come a time when Jesus comes back and his kingdom will be completely solidified all over the world. With that in mind, move the mission forward. Continue spreading the gospel. With that in mind, knowing that even though things are crazy, there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to make everything right. So with that hope and with that confidence, continue to move things forward. And so what is Paul's charge to Timothy? The beginning of verse 2, it's, it's, it's very simple. Preach the word. Preach the word. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, he's only talking to preachers, so whew, I'm, I'm off. I don't have to worry about this. I'll just kind of sit back and just... Enjoy the rest of the sermon, but this doesn't really apply to me. Well, it definitely applies to you. The idea that the way that we have, the idea we have of a preacher would have been a foreign concept to Paul during this time. Okay, this, this is something that it doesn't apply just to myself and Matt and Kyle as your pastors. This is to all of us. Because there is this thing when you are, put your faith in Christ, you are part of the priesthood of believers. Right? That's in Scripture, the priesthood of believers. And so when it says preach the word, the word preacher, the definition in, in Greek means to herald or declare. Right? It's, it's not the, the teaching of a lesson. It's declaring what Christ has done, which is something that 
not only can we all do, but it is a right and a responsibility for all of us. All right, just, just as a reference for that, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Now, this is Peter at this time is writing to exiles, but it's Gentiles and Jews, right? So it's not just the nation of Israel. It's everyone that has placed their faith in Christ. And he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That means each of us is a part of that. Each of us has the right and the authority to read and interpret Scripture. Every single one of us. Now, there's different giftings in that, right? Like, not everybody is gifted to teach. Not everybody is gifted in hospitality. There are different ways that we, that we herald or that we preach the Word, right? We don't all do the same thing because as, as, as we have been told, the body of Christ is made up of different parts. So we don't all do the same thing, but... We all have the same mission. We're all sharing and declaring the gospel and what Christ has done. So in that setting, right, we, whenever we are preaching from up here, don't just take our word that everything we're saying is right. And I mean, my, I, I do believe that you can trust us, right? But that's the thing. You, you have the right and, and the authority to go home and look through your Bible and say, you know, I, is this right what they were talking about? Is what, is what Matt says, is what Lee and Kyle say, is that right? Is that true? Is that in line with the gospel? You have the right and the authority to be able to do that. You also have the calling to share the gospel, to be able to continue God's mission. So Paul's first imperative to Timothy is to preach the word. It's in verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, we're going to hit on that a lot, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, if you have been with us during this series, what you've heard Pastor Matt speak about a lot is that there are false teachers everywhere at this point. There are false teachers around. And so Paul wants to make sure that Timothy's continuing the message because at this time, Christianity is still in its infancy, right? It hasn't been long since Christ has died. So there are a lot of things being taught, a lot of ideas being spread around. And Paul wants to make sure that the gospel is continuing to move forward, right? Because there's this time where if Timothy's not one of the people to move it forward, then there's a possibility that Christianity kind of begins to fade away. Right? Because if we had this thing, if this is a new idea at this time, or this is a new, a new way of believing, you can see how it would be easy to just kind of fall to the side when there are so many other competing ideas. So Paul wants to make sure that Timothy continues that. So he tells him to be prepared in season and out of season. And so what he means is, is listen, not just when it's convenient, right? Not just when not just when someone comes up and says, hey, tell me about Jesus. We need to be prepared for at all times, in all circumstances, to be able to give an answer for what Christ has done for us. And so, as I have been studying this passage and getting ready for today, the be prepared has just really, I feel like that's what God has really put on my heart, is the be prepared part. And so one of the first things that kind of, it, it made me think of was Christmas right? The Christmas season is coming up. 
And every year during the holidays, I always hear someone utter the phrase, man, Christmas snuck up on me. You ever hear that? Someone say, Christmas has snuck up on me. Now, my family and I have already decorated for Christmas, right? Normally, my wife, Lindsay, makes me wait until after Thanksgiving before we begin to decorate the house. But with 2020 being the, um, the year that it is, we said, you know what? We are, we're going to start celebrating Jesus early. We're going to start celebrating the birth of Christ early. So this past Saturday, we put up our tree. Uh, we got out all the decorations. Our house looks like it's already December, okay? Uh, and just, just on a, a side note, I want you to go in the chat right now. When is it okay to start decorating for Christmas? I'll give you a few seconds here, about 30 seconds here to put an answer in. But for your family, I want you to type in, in the chat. It's going to be over there. Type in the chat when you believe that it's okay to listen to Christmas music and to decorate your house for Christmas. So go ahead and put that in there. Like I said, for me, if, if it were up to me, it would always be the day after Halloween, but the, my wife doesn't allow that, except for in super crazy years like this one. So, but like I said, we, we hear this phrase, or I've heard this phrase a lot, Christmas just snuck up on me. But that's not true, is it? Christmas is always December 25th. And so I, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, okay, when was it first decided that Christmas was December 25th? In the 4th century, around 336 AD, was when Christmas was, was decided that December 25th was Christmas Day, the day to celebrate the birth of Christ. So, it's been going on for almost 2,000 years that it's been December 25th. So, it is literally impossible for Christmas to sneak up on you. But here's what people mean when they say that. Here's what they mean. I'm not prepared for Christmas yet. I'm not prepared for Christmas yet. I haven't been doing things beforehand. Even though I know that it's always December 25th, I'm not prepared for Christmas. Right? And, and we also, we know those people who are buying Christmas presents in July because there's like a good sale and they buy it and they're like, you know what, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to save it for Christmas. Those people are prepared, right? So this idea of, of being prepared matters. Let's think about if you're going on a vacation, your family's going on a vacation or you have like a, uh, you have like a travel buddy you take trips with. And think about if you just said, if you caught them up or if you're talking to your spouse and say, hey, uh, March 16th, we're going to go on vacation. Well, where are we going? I don't know. We're not, we're not going to worry about that. We'll just wake up March 16th and go somewhere. That's insane, right? Especially if you're going to fly somewhere or have to travel a far distance. You need to be prepared for that. What are the things you're going to bring? What are the things that you're going to do? If you are prepared, it increases significantly the chances of you having a great time on your vacation, Right? And if you've ever gone on a trip where you're really not prepared, other than just, hey, we bought our plane tickets, that's all I really know. I'm not worried about packing or any of these other things to get ready. That can be a very stressful time. So much so that it can take away from your enjoyment of the vacation that you're supposed to be having. Another example of this is, as of this recording right now, Pastor Matt and Amber have not had their baby. I know they're hoping that, that it will be here by the time Sunday comes. But they have not had it as of today. 
But could you imagine if, if you went up to them and said, hey, Matt and Amber, how are you guys preparing for, for your new baby? And if their response was, oh, you know, we hadn't really worried about it. We'll just figure that out when the baby gets here. I, I think your first response would be laughter, followed by, wait, are you, are you serious? Surely you're not serious. Because that's such a crazy idea that you would not prepare for something like that. Right? To be prepared. If you're bringing another human, like that, you may have to get a bigger house. You may have to get a bigger car. You may have to arrange some rooms. There are so many things that go with that. Having a new child is stressful enough, but to not be prepared at all would just be complete insanity and, and asking for just buckets and buckets of stress to be dumped all over you. Now, I do know that Matt and Amber have been preparing for the baby, so I'm not worried about this for them, but it seems insane that that would even be an option for people. You're also thinking if you're, if you're a salesman, right, and you've got to pitch a new product, right, and this is dependent, your bonus is dependent upon this part of your salary, and for you to go to that sales pitch and be like, you know what, I haven't really prepared, I'm just going to wing it. First, you'd probably get fired. Whoever you're trying to sell to is probably not going to buy that from you because you're not prepared, you're not ready to handle this situation. Being prepared requires action, requires us being intentional. And Paul knows that, so he's telling Timothy now, you can't wait till this time comes when it gets hard. You've got to be prepared now. Uh, Miguel de Cervantes was a Spanish author who wrote the book Don Quixote. And he's got a a quote that I love. It says, The man who is prepared has his battle half fought. The man who is prepared has his battle half fought. And I love that quote because that is a hugely important part. But the reality is you're not prepared for everything. We're not prepared for everything. Uh, Raise your hand if you were prepared for a global pandemic that would shut down the world and our country and our state. If you were prepared for that, then you and I need to switch places, right? I need to be sitting on the couch and you need to be up here uh, uh, talking to us because if you were prepared for that, that's amazing. uh, And I congratulate you on that. But the reality is there are things we can't be prepared for, just like in battle. And that's why I love that, uh, that this quote, it says, the man who's prepared has his battle half fought. Because Paul is speaking to Timothy, and earlier in 2 Timothy, he references Paul doing the work of a soldier because he knows this is a battle. And sometimes that that wording can kind of seem a a little bit harsh, but that's where we are. It is a battle. We are in a battle for people's souls, for people's eternity. That's why Paul was so insistent upon Timothy being prepared, uh, upon calling God and Jesus as witnesses as he speaks to Timothy because he knows, Timothy, this, this isn't just a new teaching theory. Like, this is life or death. These are people's souls. This is their eternity. And so if, if, you, don't think, if you don't think that this is a battle that's going on, this idea of spiritual warfare. Now, I, just to give you a side note, I... I don't always love throwing things to the spiritual warfare because I feel sometimes we kind of use that as an excuse to, to not do the things or, or, you know, instead of accepting responsibility, we blame it on spiritual warfare. But when it comes to people's souls, this is a battle. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is a battle. This is a battle for people's souls, for people's eternity. And too often, we are not prepared for it. Too often, we are not prepared for it. We're prepared for a lot of other things in life. We, we, we prepare for, for things all the time, for vacations, for, for having a baby, and those are things we should prepare for. But then to not be prepared to, to herald the word, to spread the gospel, to, to talk to people about faith. Because if, if we have our faith in Christ, what we're saying is this is such a life-transforming thing, like I can't be without it. And so to not be prepared to share that with other people means that we don't see the value or that we don't fully understand what's at stake here. Paul understood what was at stake here. People's souls, people's eternity, people's life transformation while they're here still on this earth is all at stake. So he's urging Timothy, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be doing this. One of my, one of my roles here and my main role here at, at this church is as the family pastor. And so a lot of times I, I can be heartbroken by some things that I see not in our church, but also in the world, but in our church as well. Um, we prepare our kids for so many things. We prepare them for school. We prepare them, right, how to eat at a restaurant, right? We prepare them if somebody's coming to visit. Uh, we prepare them how to, do, how to do homework, how to play sports. We even prepare them like, here's what you do on a date, We prepare them for all those things and we neglect to prepare them when it comes to their faith. And that is such a heartbreaking thing because not that those, there's nothing wrong with those things. We should prepare our our children for all those things. But if we're putting them in place of what is most valued, then the gospel of Jesus that that has transformed our lives, that should be at the top of the list. That's the thing. Uh, parents, families, if you're wanting to know, man, what, what do we value? Think about what you're most prepared for, what you spend most time on. Whatever that is, that is what you value the most. I'm not saying not to do those things. I'm just saying put them in their proper place. Do not neglect matters of faith. Do not neglect sharing the gospel with your family. Your children need to see how it has impacted your life. They need to see how you mess up. They need to see how you go to Christ and how you depend upon Him. They need to see that. We've got to prepare them for that. We've got to teach them those things. And here's the reality. Parents, if we're not prepared ourselves, then we're not going to be able to prepare our kids If we're not prepared ourselves, we're not going to be able to prepare our kids. We have to be proactive. We have to be intentional. And and here's here's where that plays out a lot. We love seeing people on Sunday morning. We definitely love seeing you in person, and we love seeing you online as well. For those of you who it's just, just, things are just kind of crazy, and it's just, you feel safer watching from online. We love seeing that. We love connecting with that. But please understand Sunday morning attendance is not the end-all, be-all for your faith. 
it is impossible for you to be prepared, for any of us to be prepared, if the only time we spend with God is one hour on Sunday morning. That's not being prepared. That's not being prepared. All the things we do during the week are equally, if not more important, because that's how we work it out in our lives. That's how we're able to share that. That's how we're able to interact. That's how we let the gospel permeate through our lives every single day and in everything we do. We cannot be prepared just off of one hour a week. Now look at the end of verse 2 again. After he talks about being prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Paul's telling Timothy these things because of all the false teachers that are, are around. So Timothy needs to correct them where there's an errant tendency. He needs to rebuke those who are just flat out wrong. But there's also, he needs to encourage. He needs to show that he cares about them. I think one of the biggest faults with American Christianity today is that we stop after the first two things. We love to correct. We love to rebuke. And then we kind of just really don't worry about the encouraged side. Now let's think about how crazy that is, right? First of all, that just, you know, it reminds me a lot of a parent-child relationship, right? Even if you don't have kids, you have been a kid, you know what it's like with that relationship. If you're in a setting where all you receive is correction and rebuke, but there's no showing that you're cared about, what does that do to you? I mean, that, that crushes your spirit, right? That crushes your spirit. And the problem is when we correct and rebuke people who are doing things not in line with the gospel, but then don't give them the hope and the care and the encouragement, why are they going to do that? I, I know in my experiences, jobs I've worked at in the past, where if I've had a boss correct me or rebuke me, but then not show me any concern about my well-being, the chances of me really taking in what they say and listening and doing that in the way they want me to, the chances are slim and none. Because here's the reality for all of us. In order for us to be at our best, to do what, what, what needs to be done, we need to know that we are cared for. We need to know that we are cared for. So think about this. Even when you're, when you're having conversations with people about faith, you're sharing the gospel we want to do the correcting. We want to do the rebuking for, for people who are, who are all out against Christianity. But our posture has to be because we care about them. Because we want eternity with God for their souls. The problem is we want to correct and rebuke because we just want to prove that we're right. I've seen that way too often. Let me correct you. Let me tell you where you're wrong and where I'm right. And oh, I love telling you how I'm right. The arrogance behind that is not from Christ. We need to understand that. There is, there is that correction. There is that truth that always needs to be there. But there is that grace that has to come with that. Because Paul knows that people aren't going to listen if Timothy cannot show them that he cares about them. And see, that, that's why, like... The reason why we correct and rebuke is because we care about people. When I think about my kids, the way I interact with my kids, if they're doing something wrong or something that's going to injure them, I'm going to correct them. I'm going to show them the right way because I care about them and because I want what's best for them. 
When you're having a conversation with somebody and faith comes up, is it because you want to prove that you're right and they're wrong? Or is it because you want what's best for them? Because if you've given your life to Christ, then, then you believe what's best for people is Jesus. So are you coming from a posture of, I'm doing this because I care about what is best for you? Because if you're not, people can sniff that out a mile away. And there's a good chance that they're not going to want to have anything to do with Jesus if you come at it with that attitude. So Paul's telling Timothy, be prepared to know what you're talking about. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. You need to do all of those things. And he ends it by saying, with great patience, Paul ends this, ends this verse too by saying, with great patience and careful instruction. Jesus had so much patience with Paul. So Paul speaking about this from a place of experience. Paul was persecuting Christians. He was killing them. But there was patience. God had patience with Paul and taught him the way of the gospel, the way of salvation, and it changed Paul's life. Now, when I'm teaching my kids, if I just say something to them one time and then expect them to remember that forever, that's going to lead to a lot of frustration on my part. If you are sharing the gospel with somebody, there is a, a possibility and the likelihood they're not going to get it the first time. Do you have the patience continue to do that? Because Christ was patient with you. He was patient with me. He was patient with Paul. Have the patience to continue to have those conversations, understanding that ultimately you and I cannot change someone's heart. I used to be hesitant to share my faith with people because my concern was, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I fumble over my words? Well, a couple of things that help with that. One, being prepared will kind of help you adapt in those situations. So it's always good to be prepared. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that I am responsible for someone else's acceptance or rejection of salvation. God doesn't put that on us. Even as Paul's telling Timothy in this, he's saying, preach the word, herald the word, declare the gospel. That is your responsibility. You can't make someone say yes. I wish we could. Listen, man, I wish, I, I wish we could do that. I would already, my kids would have said yes a long time ago. We can't make that happen. But we can share the gospel. We can talk about our faith, but we've got to be prepared. And so in a time like this, don't get discouraged if you would think, you know what, I'm, I'm not prepared. All right, like, like it's too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. I want you to think about it like this. What's, what's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago is the best time to plant a tree. When's the second best time? Today. Right? The best time for you to, to, for you to be prepared would have been when you first became a, a Christian. The second best time is today. Start today. So here's what, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this. I want you to write something down. Right? If you're, if you're watching this, you're, you're on your couch, you're in your favorite chair, whatever. Get a pen and paper and write down one thing that you're going to do to help be prepared. Now, 
this doesn't just need to be abstract, right? You need to do more than just say, I'm going to read the Bible more. Now, that's obviously, that's, that's a great thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't say I'm going to read the Bible more. But in order for things to actually work and you actually do it, you need to write something down like, hey, Tuesday at 6 a.m., I'm going to read my Bible and spend time in prayer. You need to give as specific a detail as you can because it's more likely that you'll hold to it. That's even being prepared for that. Do you see this? We have to be intentional. We have to be proactive about that. That's what Paul is telling Timothy, and that's, that's what we've got to do. We want to be prepared to share our faith because we believe it transforms lives and because we believe it's what's best for people and for their souls and for their eternity and for their life here on earth. So we want to be prepared to do that. We've got to put in the time and the effort to do that. We've got to be intentional. So do that. Write down something. If you're, if you're in a spot where you're already reading your Bible, you're praying, you have those regular rhythms in your life, and you're thinking, you know what? I, I feel prepared to share the gospel, but there's just not a lot of opportunities. Then I would encourage you to shift your prayer time to ask God for opportunities and to make you aware when those opportunities are present. God, make me aware. Give me opportunity. Help me to see where there's an, an opportunity to share the gospel. And it doesn't mean to slam people in the face, right? With, oh, oh hey, listen, I know you don't care about this, but I'm going to tell you about the gospel. But it, there are opportunities everywhere. God puts people in our lives. We need to be prepared to have those conversations. As 2021 comes upon us here shortly, one of the things that we've been working on as a church staff that we're going to roll out is are ways to better engage with our neighbors and to be able to share our faith and to be able to love people and show them that it's not a, hey, I'm right, you're wrong, but a, I want what's best for you. So we're going to be doing that. We, we need to be prepared in season and out of season, which just means that at all times, we need to be prepared. What are you doing this time, during this time, to be prepared? How can you be ready? How can you be prepared? How can you share the gospel at home? How can you declare what Christ has done for you in your workplace, with your family? I'm not saying those things are easy. But what I am saying is that it's clear that those conversations need to be had. We are responsible for our actions and for what we do. And this is what Christ has called us to. I'm going to close this in prayer and then we're going to have a time of communion. Father God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your great patience with us. We thank you that you were prepared to do whatever it took to bring us salvation, including giving your life. There's not a way that we can repay that, Lord. But God, for those of us that have seen the beauty in that, and have placed our faith and our trust in you, Lord, how can we not share that with others? Lord, rid us of any excuses we have for not doing that, Lord. Help us to take the steps we need to take to be prepared to talk about what you have done, Lord, and how it has impacted our lives in such a way that we want to share it because we believe it's what's best for people. Not because we think we're right and they're wrong, Lord, but because how you have changed our lives. Give us the courage to do that. Help us to see, Lord, that it is a battle for people's souls. 
Lord, and I pray for those who are listening that have not placed their faith in you, God. Lord, I pray that you will show them your love and your beauty for them, God, and your patience for them, Lord, and that you are there with open arms, ready and willing to accept them, God. Lord, we thank you. I pray that you will be with us as we move forward. God, and thank you for this time of communion where we can remember what you have done for us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. We now come to a time of communion where we, where we remember Christ's death and resurrection and how it has provided salvation and given the opportunity for our lives to be transformed. In the book of Luke, it says, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Thank you for joining, this, joining us this morning, church. I pray that as you go this week, you'll continue to do what it takes to be prepared and to remember the amazing work that Christ has done for us. Be blessed.